This is Mission.org. Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is Ben Wilson. I am a producer here at Mission. Today's episode of Marketing Trends features an interview with Ty Shea, global CMO of Norton LifeLock. Ty is a Silicon Valley veteran who has served as CMO of multiple great tech companies, including Hotwire and SquareTrade, and was the founder and CEO of FanIQ, a social sports gaming site. He is also on the board of directors of the Ad Council. On this episode, Ty and Ian discuss how to create a campaign that will stick in people's minds, how marketers misunderstand their basic function, and why Ty thinks you should turn off your marketing. This interview went a little long, so this is part one. Part two will be dropping tomorrow. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Trends. Today in studio, Taishay, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. Um, you have an awesome background with so many different iconic brands, and we're going to talk about that, your experience uh, growing up as a uh, marketer who might not have a traditional marketing background, and all of the different exits and trials and tribulations along the way. Definitely going to touch on performance storytelling, which is something that you're super passionate about, and then about some of the different career opportunities that marketers have that might not be super obvious. So let's get into it. How uh, how did you get into marketing? So I uh, was an investment banker that really hated it. And so I went back to business school. I came out here to Stanford. I just, as I told you, I lived down the road from here. And I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I was, uh, you know, here I was at Stanford. I was actually one of the younger people in my class. And I thought about, you know, instead of just being a business guy that knew business, like developing a craft and a skill, and I had a good marketing professor. I said, hey, there's something that's really interested that maybe it could be something that I could learn and, and get better at over time and could accumulate. And so I tried it for a summer at Procter & Gamble. And um, one, I learned that I couldn't go back to the Midwest, even though I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, that I really liked it in the Bay Area. But I also learned that I love this idea of, of consumer marketing and building uh, products that people love. And, you know, cutting your teeth in, you know, Procter & Gamble and those kind of things. I mean, you hear a lot of marketers that did that early on. I mean, it was a pretty robust opportunity what was that like? I mean, what were what were some of the takeaways that you had back then that you learned kind of on the ground level? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, the back, as I said, this is now 20 years ago, it was the place to do consumer marketing. And what I really learned was, you know, the, the marketing job at, at Procter & Gamble is not advertising, as you think about it. It's you're the center of the wheel and you're basically designing figuring out what consumers want, and then you're going and building it, figuring out how to package it, how to price it, how to sell it. So it's really, I think the brand management role at Proctor is very similar to the product role here in the Valley. Yeah, I was just going to say that's... As far as being the, the hub of the wheel. So that's what it was. It was about how 
you know, being obsessed with the consumer and building what they want and then being able to communicate it clear. I think that was something that really interested me and uh, is kind of a philosophy that I've, I've brought to, I think, all the jobs that I've had since then. So you've been a, what is this, four-time CMO, five-time CMO? I mean, you know, I lose track. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's either a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, ever since uh, graduating, I've been from business school, I've been in the marketing track and uh, got my first CMO position at, at Hotwire about 18 years ago, and then have done a few CMO roles, was a founder of a company, and so kind of jumped around since then. Were you involved at all in the like hotwire.com? Yes. Is that your campaign? Yes, yes. so uh, great people, ads. People remember that. The little known fact about Hotwire, which is, by the way, you know, has a great alumni database across the, uh, the valley. Uh, Spencer Raskoff, who's the CEO of Zillow, was yeah. running product for Hotwire. But uh, when I joined that, it was actually called Project Purple Demon. What? And uh, yes, so we were in stealth mode, incubated out of a private equity firm, Texas Pacific Group, and we were formed to uh, basically take on Priceline. And then we came out of stealth and we named it Hotwire as opposed to something travel related because at that time, we thought, hey, this kind of distressed inventory model marketplace could apply to things beyond travel. As it turned out, we were bought by IAC, and then those those plans never came to fruition, but that's the background behind the name Hotwire. That's fascinating. I, those are great ads. And we always talk about on the show this idea of being remarkable and how hard it is in today's culture to be remarkable with your advertising or with marketing. I mean, it it truly is hard. Like people don't talk about ads. Like it's just not something that, especially younger generations. I mean, from what, from what we've seen and from the data and stuff that we're kind of all seeing, how do you, I mean, obviously there's huge investments in TV advertising with that slogan for sure. But how did you view trying to make something that stuck in people's mind with repetition and all of that? Hotwire was a really interesting you know, when you look back at your career, I don't know how many, have you had guests on the show that have, have marketed at a PE company or a PE investment company? I don't know. That's a great question. So one thing you learn is, you know, there's venture, which is usually trying to get from product market fit and zero to one. And yep. then there's private equity, which is usually about taking something that works and either making it grow faster or being more efficient. So Hotwire was incubated out of Texas Pacific Group and Growing up there, a company that was incubated in a place that thought long-term about efficiency and metrics, it was really challenging because from the day one, we were accountable for every dollar. Yeah. And well, I had, hey, I, it's probably a good lesson to learn. It was a good lesson. I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, to have a company where uh, marketing was in the center, we knew that the way we would grow would be marketing. I was running the company forecast meeting, and we were basically out to prove the fastest, cheapest way to grow the company. So I'd say that what seemed, what was definitely a lot of hard work and a lot of, I'd say, rigor and and challenge ended up, I think, one of the reasons we were successful and survived 9-11 and eventually sold to IAC and Expedia. I mean, and this is a theme that throughout your career is this idea of demanding accountability and how do you remain accountable to your budgets? No, I think that there's a lot of really good marketers that that act that way. And then there's this idea of, you know, like waste in marketing and like how much are you wasting? Like, you know, if you're if you're not spending a certain amount over that, like how do you know you're reaching everyone? Like how have you 
forced accountability in all of your different roles? Yeah, I, th I think I learned it, as you said, from being at these, I was at eAssurance before that when we launched and then Hotwire. And you really learned very quickly about you know the idea that you're building something and then someday you're going to have to, somebody's gonna evaluate it and decide whether you've built something of value. So I think that mindset of, of just thinking like an owner and being accountable was, was something that I was lucky enough to be in that situation at eAssurance and then Hotwire. Did you work with uh, Chuck Wallace at eAssurance? Yes. Oh uh, yeah, Chuck. Chuck's, Chuck's I great. I haven't seen Chuck lately, but uh, yeah, Chuck was one of the founders of eAssurance. So I think going in with that mentality and then, you know, uh, I think necessity is the mother of invention. When you start with the idea of accountability and you kind of embrace it, and the other thing that I think is a real blessing for marketers is getting first party data. So, you know, when I was at Procter and Clorox, you were kind of disintermediated through the retailer and it was really hard to understand what was actually happening with your product. Once you start getting that data and about your cause and effect of your spend to customers, I think that was really fun to me. And I think that's where I kind of the light bulb went on that, you know, marketing is, I've always thought of, in the Valley, you've got these big enterprise software companies where sales is clearly the revenue driver. Yeah. Since I've been in, in the Valley at, at direct-to-consumer companies, I've, I've felt that we're, we're that. We're basically the revenue driver of direct-to-consumer companies. So I personally want to figure out how to do it better, faster, cheaper. You know, it's interesting. I, um, this is a total tangent, but I was watching an episode of Shark Tank a little while ago. And one of the, one of the, folks had this you know consumer product and the shark took them into big box retail and i'm like why on earth would you not like advise them to build a direct channel like why would you just quadruple your efforts on on your online channel that's working build a relationship one-to-one -one, do not go through an intermediary where then you don't control the transaction you don't see stuff i mean i know that I'm not, I'm not saying that it's like 100% a bad idea. I just, it's one of those things where you're like, you already have the press, you have the jumpstart, you're getting feedback from the customer. Like use that as your advantage. Don't just rush to big box. I don't know. Do you have yeah, any thoughts? I'm, I love Shark Tank. <laughs> There's some it's of great. The, uh, it's great. the sharks that I think are better than others. But I agree, uh, having been in omni-channel or multi-channel businesses, once you do get in, in retailers and you have to manage channel conflict, you definitely add a layer of complexity to your business. And to your point, oftentimes trade scale or growth for margin. Yeah, it's something that is really fascinating. It comes with a different set of challenges. On to from those physical products into like the software world or, or to SaaS and to what you're doing now at Symantec with, with Norton and LifeLock and these kind of brands, what were the differences that you saw in kind of this technology side of things. We can get into the company you founded after that, but, yeah. um, and I want to get into that stuff because it's great to have CMOs slash founders because it's always a fun uh, conversation. But switching into technology, what were the, some of those lessons that you had to learn to be accountable to ultimately, you know, the CEO and, and your head of sales or however the company is structured? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to date myself, but uh, so I left Clorox about 20 years ago and joined this company called Sierra Holdings Corporation that we eventually would name. We'd buy the URL for eSurance and call it eSurance. And so how I thought about that, I was at Clorox doing pretty well. And then I got a call from a former P&G guy 
who was uh, you know the in charge of marketing at eSurance. He said, "Hey, come work for me." And I thought, well, this is a pretty good deal because I kind of can continue to learn from somebody who knows marketing and and go do this online thing. So the lucky thing there was. I happened to just be sitting next to the the data mining actuary team. And if you think about insurance, it's an insurance company. Yeah. So I'm sitting there learning about, here I am a, a packaged goods marketer guy. I'm learning about lifetime value, churn rate, cost per customer. And I'm just sitting next to these guys, database marketing, because uh, insurance uses a lot of direct mail. So that was, I would say, really lucky for me even though those are now synonymous metrics with online. In 99, that was not a sure thing. I would say we were one of the few companies it's that crazy. were thinking in terms of lifetime value and, and measuring that in cost per customer. So, you know, my path has been, there's a lot of luck. And one thing I've found in the Valley is anyone who tells you there's not luck, I don't think is looking hard enough at the circumstances of their journey. So being at, at eSurance, which is an insurance company and learning that language was, I would say, really lucky. And do you think that, you know, you also along the way started a company, Fan IQ, that yeah. was acquired as well. What was that journey like from a marketer turned founder and CEO? Because it, we talked about it on the show, and we're going to have, actually, we have a really good guest coming up who's, who's the same thing, CMO turned founder. We've had a few, but I think it's a really interesting thing that there's just not that many people who who are co-founder and, and CMO type marketers that start companies. But I think in the future, this is going to be way more people. Because yeah. if you think about how important your marketing channel is now, especially with direct-to-consumer, especially with the importance of like demand gen and performance marketing on, on B2B, either one, it's so critical now. And, you know, CMOs get fired more than any other thing. It's like, you know, why there's so many offensive head coaches in the NFL right now, right? You can't fire the offensive coordinator if you're the if you're the head coach, right? Or it can't get hired away from you. What was it like to be a marketer turned founder? And how did you kind of like navigate those waters? Yeah, well, I can tell you it started, you know, the reason I came out to Stanford Business School is I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Then I chose the marketing track. And I can tell you, that after the sale of Hotwire to ISC Expedia, I was very confident. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had built a top five travel site, we had sold it. And I would say, honestly, it was, I call it the expert paradox. I was at the peak of thinking that I knew everything about everything. Yep. And I think the being a founder for me was a really humbling experience. <laughs> I quickly realized how much I didn't know and how much I had to learn. So, you know, I had always had the idea. After I left Hotwire, I had I love sports. I thought this is back around 2006 when Facebook was just starting. I thought social networks would be vertical. I didn't think there'd be a big horizontal network. I thought they'd be you know there'd be one for music, one mm -hmm. for religion, one for sports. So I thought there's a big opportunity, and that was the thesis. And so I bootstrapped it, and and then it went from there, raised funding, etc. So. It's interesting because I've been lucky enough to be part of several exits. That one, we did exit. It was not a great exit financially for investors, but I'd say I learned the most. Ironically, it's the part of my background that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, I'm but, here for it. I'm all, I just, <laughs> but you know. it's actually the part where I probably learned the most about how to run a business and, uh, you know, it's just rich on learnings, I would say. Yeah. I mean, as the, as the, chief marketer here at, at the mission. I um I just think it's really fascinating. And I think it's something that 
you get out of the pure marketing role and into the product role or into the sales role or whatever whatever situation that is that you're going to be out of your comfort zone. And it's like when you, you know, it's one thing to make recommendations and it's another thing to have to be the one who implements it. Yes. From that experience, you had, did you hire a marketing team? Did you bring in marketers? How did you look at that? Yeah, I mean, one of the big lessons I learned was, you know, I have to say I was, I was arrogant. I didn't have a co-founder. I thought I could do everything. So, you know, you, you're in the middle of it. I can't imagine looking back, you know, I basically designed all the product, raised capital, did all the marketing or at least led it. So, you know, I, I did too much. And that's one of the things I've learned since then is I always joke that, do you know about the hippo management style or the no. hippo decision making? So hippo is basically, it stands for the highest paid person's opinion wins. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and my startup was definitely like a hippo is I was making every decision, which totally wasn't scalable across so many functions. At that point, I really realized the value of, you know, hiring great people and figuring out how to empower them. I mean, as someone who was formerly in the army, we had this pure rank structure, right? So highest ranking person. But actually, you know, a lot of the times it's it's the opposite where it's like, you know, you're empowering your folks to do the things that they have to work autonomously. Like you, you just have to. And I think that that's one of the things, you know, for why CMOs a lot of times get the cold shoulder from executives is that the executive for whatever reason just doesn't feel like they can execute. Like, why do you think that there is kind of that thing. Maybe it maybe it kind of comes back to that accountability piece, but why do you feel like CMOs often, you know, when that Corn Ferry thing came out in 2012 that we cite all the time, it's like 80% of executives don't, you know, trust their CMO or whatever the crazy stat was. But um, like, why do you think that is? I think there's this perverse thing when you're the marketer, I think you feel like you're the champion of spreading the word. And so if you think that that's your job as the marketer, which is your job is to make sure every, you know, your target or everyone knows about your product, it leads you to behave, I think, the wrong set of behaviors. <laughs> One might be, if you, if you were to take that to an extreme, it means you're always asking for money and you always are the advocate of, of spending money. So... I really do think that a lot of marketers fall down because they, they're in this own internal race to spread the word as fast as possible and that thinking that that's their job to you know, argue for bigger budgets or to argue to be more aggressive or to argue for those things, I think are the things that make people not trust them. Yeah, I think it's all out of passion that the marketers are doing that, saying we gotta spread the word, we gotta go bigger, we gotta go faster, we gotta go harder. But I, th I think the, the attitude that gets more, generates more trust within your structure is somebody who's maybe more impartial yeah. and who really tries to understand the goals of the business. You know, is the goal to be profitable versus growth, to be self-sustaining? I think marketers, if they, one, try to ladder their, their activities into more closely match the goals of the executive team and the CEO, and two is, once again, really embracing this idea of, of being accountable for the monies they spend instead of, you know, and so proactively going and telling people how they're using the budget or how they're turning the marketing budget into revenue versus waiting to be asked for that and being reactive. 
Well, and you know, I think that this is this rise of, you know, like lean startup culture and experiential marketing that is so brilliant. It's like, it's the most empowering tool you have is that you can run A-B tests and experiments, experiments. And if you run these things, then you can go to your, you know, leadership and just say like, hey, I, I'm totally impartial on this decision. Let's just measure it. Let's measure it and figure it out. It's like, if you have an idea or I have an idea or whatever, it's not about who's being right. Let's bake it off and see what the right answer is. Like we're not in the business of just doing swag guessing for no reason, right? Yes. So Eric Reese, I got to know him. He was actually consulted for my startup. We were that was he? So, right? He's the I think before he wrote that book, I got to know him. And yes, the idea of lean startup is really liberating, right? That yeah. nobody really knows. Everything's a hypothesis. And you, you, you try to go prove or disprove your hypotheses as fast and as cheaply as possible. I think that's definitely a trend in the valley. I don't think that has been embraced by a lot of marketers. Yeah, totally. I think think marketers are still feel this pressure to be right and to feel like they know what the consumer wants versus embracing this, hey, we have some good ideas and we're going to quickly go through them and see which one's the best. Yeah. And I think, you know, here specifically, I, you know, we just talked to Brian Rothenberg about this idea of like the head of growth is going to be something that actually starts to decrease because those growth tasks just are going to be a prerequisite for for CMOs or for all marketers. Like you kind of have to have that in your toolkit. And really that that growth mentality comes down to, you know, A-B testing and experimental, experiment-driven marketing decisions. But one of the things that Eric talks about is like, at the end of the day, if you're doing like internet marketing, you're going to A-B test yourself into what ends up being situations that you don't want to be in, right? Which is if you look at Taboola and Outbrain, a lot of the stuff that's on freaking ESPN.com or any of these companies, like it's, you know, you know, guys and girls wearing not a lot of clothes saying, you know, this celebrity makeover had had 15 celebrity makeovers, all this like actual garbage that we're feeding each other. Like those are marketing's make marketing leaders making those decisions in a lot of cases. And like that stuff is crazy, right? So there has to be some level of we're going to A-B test our, our hypothesis and not just test until we get the thing that gets the most clicks. Because the thing that gets the most clicks most of the time doesn't have the most clothes on. Yeah. Look, I, I would even go one step further that you can see a lot of these really, really successful. Some of the most successful companies, you know, the marketing function as thinking about the brand and who we are is less developed than the growth function. I think these are some of the companies you see in the headlines yeah, about business, business decisions they're making because there's not a good balance between, to your point, who we want to be as a company and how our business is growing. There's not that connection. And you have a really interesting idea of how you can do this, how how a CMO or a marketing leader can actually do this. Your, your way to prove your marketing to see if it's working is to turn it off. Explain what this means and and how you've done this. Yeah, the this goes back to what I said is, I think the best place to be in life is balanced, is not to be leaning too far forward or too far you know too far back. So, per our earlier discussion, when I realized that the 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 way I could most effectively be the the CMO was to be really neutral about marketing and how much we should spend and that it it gave me a sense of calmness. And so what I've done a couple times is instead of just, you know, 
let's say if, if people are questioning why we're doing this program or why we're doing that program or why we're spending on so so much on marketing a couple of times in my career well i always ask the question well you know what we don't have to do that we can actually just stop doing it and see what happens and i've had a couple ceos take me up on that <laughs> and it and uh, i can tell you both times that they've done that it's actually validated the role of marketing and what marketing's doing for our growth and I, I think this is something that comes with age is it's like fire i think you can um say all you want about fire don't touch fire fire but yeah. you just have to touch fire once then that's it yep and that's what usually happens if you have confidence that your your programs are contributing to growth thank you for listening to marketing trends that does it for part one of our interview with tai shea tune in tomorrow to hear part two thanks for listening to this episode of marketing trends marketing trends is brought to you by salesforce pardot World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.